Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Middle Way Mom Reads, where we dig into books that enhance and inform our homeschooling journey. I'm Shannon, a homeschooling mom since 2009 and a student of the Islamic Sciences, working toward my bachelor's degree in Islamic Sciences from Mishka University. I've been using the Charlotte Mason method since 2016, and I'm hoping that this series helps more parents realize the value of the Charlotte Mason education and the Charlotte Mason method in their homes. We're starting with the most classic book in the Charlotte Mason Method, the first book in her six-volume series titled Home Education. We'll work through the book together, inshallah. I'll discuss highlights of the book without the assumption that you have read it yourself, but of course you'll gain a much greater understanding if you read the book as well. So today we are picking up with a section called The Reign of Law in Education. Um, and she starts with a section called Common Sense and Good Intentions. So quoting her here, she says, the, re the reason why education affects so much less than it should affect is just this, that in nine cases out of 10, sensible good parents trust too much to their common sense and their good intentions, forgetting that common sense must be at the pains to instruct itself in sorry, instruct itself in the nature of the case and that well-intended efforts come to little if they are not carried on in obedience to divine laws to be read in many cases, not in the Bible, but in the facts of life. So this is something that, that I think about a lot of our parenting culture in the United States in particular, just, you know, because that's what I'm familiar with. Um, but I think a lot of us have this idea that we're, we can parent with common sense and good intentions and we just, you know, what feels right to us is what we do. And the fact is, you know, if we don't check ourselves, if we don't check like, okay, am I responding in the best way? If, am I, Am I responding with anger or with sadness, or am I like really looking at the situation clearly? Then we can we can uh, create these bad habits, and we can also normalize things that maybe shouldn't be normalized. Um, and so she's making the case here that like good intentions is not good enough. As, as much as that like almost puts so much pressure on parents. But it's the idea that we must come into this with some kind of knowledge. And I believe that I've talked about this a little bit before that like we're coming into not just homeschooling, but parenting in general with the idea that I'm going to treat this with no less care and concern than I would treat my career. I'm not going to go into the field of nursing based on common sense and good intentions. I am going to educate myself in best practices. And I will say, as being a parent for almost 25 years now, um, best practices with big quotes around them is something that tends to change over time. So it is something that we can't just read the pop culture books about parenting and they're like, oh yeah, I should totally do that. Or what happens a lot of times is like for right now, um, gentle parenting has become more, more popular over the last couple of years, but people don't read into it. And what happens is they end up permissive parenting. 
Um, so using just like these little sound bites of I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and not really thinking through it too much and having unintended consequences because we haven't thought deeply about it. But there's so many other areas of life where we think deeply and we make concerted effort for, okay, where do I want to go and what are the steps to get there? And am I doing the things on a day-to-day basis in general? Of course, you know, we can't live our best life every single day. Like that's just not realistic, but am I doing things on a regular basis to get me to my end goal? Um, And I think in parenting, we don't do that often enough to be really honest with you. I just don't think that we give the same care and concern to parenting that we do to our careers, um, our passions and those type of things. Then there's another section, law abiding lives, often more blameless than pious lives. So, and we see this, we see this, and this is a question that our kids have. Why are pious people at times more kind and more pleasing? Um, And this is something that we have to address as parents that um, she says, I feel it is no such great danger after all, but one that parents of the cultivated class are competent to deal with and are precisely the only persons who can deal with it. So this is parents who have, who use those good intentions with active work into, into actively parenting their children. Um, And this is, you know, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but there's, um, and I'm not going to do it justice, but there's like the saying that, and it goes for like a husband and wife is how I originally heard it is like, don't treat your wife like a fly where you only pay attention to her when she's in your way. And you're like, shoot, 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 go. And we should have the same idea with our children as well, that we're looking at their environment, that we're looking at what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. And we're proactively having these conversations. We're proactively talking about, yes, I know, you know, your cousin or your aunt or whatever is, you know, saying they're not a Muslim and they're more nice, more kind than your other cousin, aunt, cousin, you know, uncle, whatever, that says that they are Muslim and they declare that they're a good Muslim, but they're not kind and they're not generous and these type of things. And, um, you know, if I can insert right now the, you know, what I tell my own children is, you know, it doesn't change the message of Islam. And the reason why we do the things that we do is to please Allah. It's not to please all these other people. By pleasing Allah, we tend to please other people, the people that really, really matter by being generous and kind and forthright. This is when we are pleasing to Uh, the people of this world, and we're pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But really our focus, you know, is the long game. And whoever is in that path and benefiting from that, alhamdulillah. Um, But this isn't, the fact that people are not living out their faith in the way that it's supposed to be lived out does not negate the message of that faith. And this is something we will have to address time and time and time again. Uh, This is a conversation, this is a much bigger conversation that I would love to have at some point of, um, you know, this, what's the purpose of doing good? And also this idea of if it doesn't hurt anybody, then why can't you? 
Um, and they're kind of philosophical questions, but it's the, it's just in the air we breathe and the water we drink in, you know, a figurative sense, of course, that it's just all around us. If it doesn't hurt anybody, then what's the problem? Um, and that's something that we can dig into another time, inshallah. Um, but that's, if you use that yardstick for, for everything, there's actually some pretty, grotesque places that that would take you if you were really to say it doesn't hurt anybody so I can do this um anyways so we're going to keep going here she says mind and matter are equally governed by the law I really like what she says here so this is kind of a longer section that I'm going to quote from her book she says as for the superior morality of some non-believers supposing we grant it what does it amount to just to this, that the universe of mind as the universe of matter is governed by unwritten laws of God, that the child cannot blow soap bubbles or think his flitting thoughts otherwise than in obedience to divine laws. So we think of these as natural laws. And of course, as people who believe in a creator, these are divine natural laws. Going on with her quote here, that all safety progress and success in life come of obedience to the law, to the laws of mental, moral, and physical science, or that of spiritual science, which the Bible unfolds. And of course, as Muslims, we understand this as the Quran. That it is possible to ascertain laws and keep laws without recognizing the lawgiver, and that those who do ascertain and keep any divine law inherit the blessing due to obedience, whatever be their attitude toward the lawgiver. Just as the man who goes out into blazing sunshine is warmed, though he may shut his eyes and decline to see the sun. I love, love, love this quote. And this is something that can be really easy to share with our kids. Yes, we, we every single day, we are given the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us, right? The air that we breathe and clean air at that, right? clean air, clean water, we have food to eat. So whether we recognize that Allah has sent down the rain from the skies and uh, fertilize these plants and the animals and so on and so forth, we can close our eyes, but it doesn't change the fact that we're receiving this blessing. Just because we close our eyes doesn't mean the sun doesn't exist. Um. And then she goes on talking about antagonism to law shown by some religious persons. If you're following along with us, we're going from page 39 to page 40. Um, So every time that we're talking about natural laws, this actually comes up in science a lot. Um, We always connect this back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that all of these things are created. Um, We don't want to isolate religious laws acting like natural laws are not real or vice versa, right? So when we're talking about, um, so there seems to be this argument between religion and science that really is, if I may say, it is manufactured. I mean, I don't know by who, but I'm just saying like, it's not real. (laughs) It's not real because the fact of the matter is like, especially as Muslims, like I see this more in Islam than other religions that I've studied. Um, and if you know me at all, um, I have looked into a 
a good number of religions and spent some time studying them. Um, they, we don't have this break between science and religion. The two are not at odds with each other. There's things that we understand in science right now that maybe we didn't understand before, but that doesn't change the fact that Allah has created all of these things to be dependent on each other. Just because we know that the bird flies because of this reason and that reason, you know, and rain falls because of this reason and that reason, it doesn't change that Allah created this chain of events for us to observe so we can plan and predict and uh, see different patterns in this world. On the other side, there's this idea that, okay, we're just going to teach religion and we're going to kind of leave science. We're not going to talk about evolution or um, these type of things. Like we become so scared of science that we leave religion or we become so in love with science that, um, that we leave religion. <laughs> Either one, or I'm sorry, we become so scared of science that we leave science and then our kids grow up and they, and they read about science and all of these things. And they're like, wait a second, none of this matches up. None of this looks right. And then they leave religion. Sorry, that's what I was trying to get to. Or we love science so much. I hear so many people say, oh, you know, I believe in science. I believe in science. It is the new religion. It is the religion of the day to I believe in science. And then I do write and I dress modest and whatever because it's good because of this, 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 this humanist reason because I believe in science. We are the middle way. Islam is the middle way. We can say, you know, I love to find out the natural associations between different created things. I love to hear about like how the sun is burning and the planets are in orbit and the new things that we're discovering in the universe and all of this. And I also love to recognize the creator who put all of this in place and to recognize the sacred laws as well that there's things that I can't see. And because I know that there's things that I can't see, that I have a trust that the one who created the things I can see and the things that I can't see, that I'm going to follow those laws because I know that this is putting me in the middle path. So we can pray for our own children to be truthful, diligent, and upright, as Charlotte Mason says. But we can't ignore, we can't then ignore the path to make this happen and the education to get there. There's sometimes that um, she's making the case here that like we pray and we pray and we pray for truthful, diligent, and upright children. And then we treat them like the fly. Shoo, 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 go away, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this. Um, and we have to put in the effort on our part and the education on our part first, and then the education to the children. And there was a halakha I just went to um, where it was with uh, Dr. Tamara Gray. And she was talking about, you know, don't be like a copper wire where, you know, you just take in the religious information and then you just give it to them and it doesn't soak into you. You should be so filled with this that it naturally overflows to them. That's the proper manner of us uh, digging deep into our religious knowledge as best it suits us. You know, maybe that is listening to podcasts or lectures or whatever 
on your drive to work or, you know, in the evening after the kids have gone to bed. Maybe it is taking formal studies. Maybe it's going to a halakha together as a family. But it is this, this family atmosphere of religious life in dutifulness to our creator that uh, inculcates this path toward a truthful, diligent, and upright child, inshallah. She ends with this paragraph. She says... <laughs> I love when she says this kind of stuff because, okay, we'll read this and then I'll get my thoughts. My endeavor in this and the following volumes of this series will be to sketch out roughly a method of education, which as resting upon a basis of natural law may look without presumption to inherit the divine blessing. Any sketch I can offer in this short compass must be very imperfect and very incomplete, but a hint here and there may be enough to put intelligent parents on profitable lines of thinking with regard to the education of their children. So what makes me chuckle is she has a couple of these like <laughs> very humble, um, very humble statements and, you know, this, this short compass, it's six volumes. <laughs> she wrote six volumes. Um, and some of them are for different purposes. There's one volume uh, in these six that is intended for the child to read when they're upper middle school or high school age. I forget exactly, but it's uh, kind of like, a. I think it falls under the category of citizenship. It's called ourselves. That's something that the kids are supposed to read themselves. Um, and it's about morality and that kind of stuff and dutifulness, kind of the stuff we've been talking about right now. Um but it's also interesting, she, she doesn't claim that this is like, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Here's a sketch of the method. And we talked about methods versus systems previously. Um, that Here's a sketch of the method in which we find the, the greatest success that she's seen, at least with this. And then when you really start digging into the Charlotte Mason method, you start to see that, um, you know, she made little changes here and there. There's something called the parents review. I haven't read any of these. It seems like it's sort of like a, a newsletter that would go like to the parents of the school that she did or the school that she ran. And then, um, Maybe for people who are educating at home at that time, they had like governesses and that kind of th stuff. Um, but my point here is that there were changes that were being made over time. And you see this in the parents review uh, newsletters, I think they are. So it is a rough sketch. And that's why sometimes it can be kind of hard to understand exactly like what is the Charlotte Mason method, because it's kind of this pencil sketch drawing. And when you stay within that, and you kind of follow that as a guide, you can fill that with many different things. And that's why, you know, a lot of Muslims come into this, and they're like, wait, 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 this is just a Christian thing. Because Christians, for the most part, have been the ones following the Charlotte Mason method. So when you look at book lists and you look at book suggestions and when, you know, it mentions the Bible here quite, quite a bit. Um, so people think, oh, this is a Christian thing. But I hope that you've noticed over, over time that all of these line up very, very well with uh, Islamic thinking because it really is in a general sense of acknowledging who the, our creator is and our duty 
to our creator um, and moving forward with that, right? She is yet to talk about the salvation of Isa alayhi salam and so on and so forth that, you know, we, that we don't subscribe to. So um, the next section, so we just finished this part one of the book. The next section is uh, part two. It's the outdoor, out of door life for the children. And this is where we really dig into, okay, so I'm supposed to be outside with the kids. So what do we do while we're there? And she has some really good, solid suggestions for how you use your time. And I will say, um, I haven't used all of the suggestions, but I've used quite a few of them. Again, it's like this rough sketch. And I've never had a time where my kids are like, yeah, I'm really bored and I just don't know what to do while I'm here. So it gives kind of this guiding light of, of what to do while you're there. And also a reminder that we are not there to just be like, here's your worksheet and here's your test after you're here. Like there's so many lessons behind the lessons that you're getting out of that in in basically like slow living. And that's it's very uh, friendly with like the slow living movement. So uh, that will be next time, inshallah. Just a reminder, you will gain added benefit if you are reading this book for yourself. Um, you can find it at your favorite retailers, alhamdulillah. You can also find a link to it at the description of this podcast or video. You can find me online at Middleway Mom on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. On Instagram, I share our day-to-day homeschooling life as well. If you have any questions you'd like answered, you can email those to Shannon at middlewaymom.com. That's S-H-A-N-N-E-N at middlewaymom.com. Thank you so much and assalamu alaikum.